Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our text for our sermon is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. To remind you of that account, I will read the first three verses. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. This is the gospel of our Lord. As we learned when we walked through the Lent season, it had been quite a week for the apostles. In fact, even before then, when a month previous, when Jesus said we're going to raise Lazarus from the dead, basically, Thomas, all the disciples knew the Sanhedrin wanted to kill Jesus, and he said, well, let's go with him and die. Kind of a low there, right? And then they see the raised Lazarus and this wonderful thing, kind of a high. They knew that Jesus was to be a Messiah and that he was some kind of a king. And when he entered in on Palm Sunday, there was quite an emotional high as they laid out their cloaks to make a saddle and the crowds laid out the red carpet by putting down palm branches in their own cloaks. Boy, quite an emotional high. This is it. This is the king. He's come to his holy city, Jerusalem. Imagine the low then as the Sanhedrin worked against him and argued against him. Imagine the high as he cleans out the temple and the low as they turn around and say, how dare you? And here it is. It's Monday, Thursday. You're washing our feet. What? And then the high as he celebrates the Lord's Supper. But then the emotional low as he says, I'm not going to celebrate this with you again until it's fulfilled in my kingdom. Their hearts had been tossed to and fro. And the verb that's used that we translate, don't let your heart be troubled, Jesus literally says, do not let your hearts be tossed back and forth, up and down. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to tell you, you can't stop this from happening. There are times you're going to hear news and you're going to go, why? And times you're going to hear news and you're going to go, yeah. But to do it constantly as if God does not count, as if God is no longer the Lord, that's something we don't want to do continuously. And so today we ask that question, how can we stop our hearts from being in continuous turmoil? As he literally said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be in continuous turmoil. And he immediately answers our question, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no great mystery. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, he's talking to disciples, with the exception of Judas, who has rejected him. They do believe in him. Theirs is a confused faith, but the Holy Spirit does live in their hearts. They are believers. So maybe better say, trust in God, trust also in me. What does he mean, trust in God? Look at his word, trust everything he says in it as his promise to you. Now, why does Jesus make a distinction between him and God? Because he is God. Trust also in me because... They're not going to see all the world's uh, view of what a glorious God should be in the next, shall we say, uh, 24 hours and to three days. Because he's going to hide us. He's going to hold back all of the powers of his godhood. It's not, it doesn't look like God dying on a cross. That's a shameful criminal death. They're not going to see the glory until he rises. So trust in me. What's about to happen? He knows their hearts are going to be in turmoil. Part of this conversation is telling Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you'll have denied me three times. Don't be tossed to and fro. Cling to God's promises to you. Cling to me as God uh, the Son. 
He says, but he gives more comfort for them, something to put your perspective in everything. In verse 2, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, the King James Version originally translated the Greek word here as mansion. That word has changed meaning in the 400 years. Today, when you hear mansion, you think of a palace or a place where a rich person lives. That's the father's house. That's heaven. Mansion used to mean it was like an apartment. If you were a son, you lived in your father's palace, but you had your own living space, central kitchen and everything. It's not like they were completely isolated. In his father's house are many apartments. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a comfort for you and I, and it should have been a comfort for the apostles, but like you and I, they were sinners and their hearts were in turmoil. God is telling you, I'm going ahead. My crucifixion is to pay the rent, to pay the adoption certificate. You are going to be made prince and princesses in my father's kingdom, and that means you have an apartment there. Your baptismal certificate is the rental agreement. And the rental agreement isn't you pay anything. It's God saying, here, you're part of my palace. You have an inheritance. It's all eternal life. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It is a place before my throne. Now, doesn't that change our perspective, brothers and sisters in Christ? No matter what happens in this life, you can stop your hearts from being tossed to and fro by remembering this promise. Surely Jesus is my God who died and rose again for me. I have an eternal place in paradise. When we put the troubles of this world with that before our eyes, it changes our perspective. Throw the worst you've got at me. Kill me. I've got a place in heaven. This too shall pass. It is temporary. And we know Jesus has ascended and is ruling in in our place. That's where he goes and prepares a place for us. He's ruling all over all creation so that he could bring you, as he did the disciples, to faith. And so that he could keep you in the faith by bringing his word to you. Now, before we move on to the next thing, I want to point out one sad thing. There is a cult here that grew up in America, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who due to a mistranslation of a chapter of Revelation, claim there's only 144,000 apartments, shall we say, places in heaven. They get this out of a mistranslation of Revelation where you had 12 tribes of the Old Testament and symbolically 12 apostles. We know that Matthias was called to be an apostle by the apostles. So it's showing both Old Testament and new believers will be saved. Ten is the number of completion. And so uh, ten and ten, he's saying all believers of all time will be saved. But they claim only 144,000. Now in America, there's been more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. So they claim they'll have a lesser place here on earth. That's not what Jesus says at all, is it? And it robs you of comfort. Jesus says there are many. There's room for all. He's going away to uh, going to prepare a place. Don't let such folly rob you of your comfort. Otherwise, your hearts will be in constant turmoil. Am I one of the 144,000? Do I get to have even a place, a lesser place? No, none of that. How can we stop our hearts from being in continuous turmoil? By trusting in our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has prepared a living space for you. He's promised it to you. Trust in it. So Jesus continues, you know where I'm going and you know the way. Lord, we don't know where you're going, Thomas replied. So how can we know the way? Great question, right? 
Thomas has missed it. Jesus is going to be before the throne of the Father. This will happen after his death, after his resurrection, when he ascends. But we also know that the day he died, he went to heaven because he told that thief he would be with him in paradise. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus makes it abundantly clear what the way is. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to go to heaven, contrary to the natural religion of our sinful nature, the way isn't you earn it. The way isn't you do your best and God will do the rest. The way is Jesus. He is the only way to heaven. He is the key. And once we know his dying and life for us, then we know the truth. Now, our world, once again, and it has had these struggles before, really has a problem with truth. There's a reason why when Jesus appeared before Pilate, Pilate said, what is truth? Said it sarcastically. Today, people in America, college campuses, people in the news will tell you, and there's no such thing as a solid, absolute truth, except for curse you for saying there's an absolute truth. Nothing really matters. Everything is subject. Jesus says, no, this is wrong. Now, prior to this, uh, after the Reformation, a lot of people during the Enlightenment would say, what is truth? The scientific method is truth. And it's kind of sad to say that at least it established natural laws that we could see. Today, we've quit even using that. Things get passed off as good science simply because it's popular opinion. We live in a world where what's supposed to be truth is going to toss you to and fro. But Jesus is the truth, and he anchors you down like a boat being anchored down. Truth number one, thanks to Adam and Eve's fall, we cannot love God on our own. We are not alive in God, and we are dead. Truth, not spiritually dead, and we're going to hell. Truth number two, so God became a man, lived perfectly in your place, took the punishment for your sins, rose victorious, sent that message. His Holy Spirit entered your heart through that message and gave you the new man who believes. Without that truth, you're in trouble. And finally, he says, the life. When that Holy Spirit's in your heart, you have new life. It's the new man, as we call it. What Adam and Eve lost and regained when God came and promised them a Savior. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are many, uh, even Christian churches, that will teach this lie that if you're a devout Muslim or a devout Mormon or a devout Jehovah's Witness or a devout Buddhist, as long as you're devout, you'll be saved. You cannot believe Jesus' words here and believe that and still remain a Christian once you've had these words spelled out to you. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, how can we keep our hearts from being tossed in constant turmoil? By trusting that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's a wonderful comfort. You don't save yourself. Jesus does this. You are saved because he's given you life. He gave you that life because the Holy Spirit worked through the word of truth that is all about Jesus' life. Death, resurrection is given to us because of it, and therefore we're on the path. Jesus has won that for us. But then after that, the next question comes. He says, if you know me, you would also know my father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. What? Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Philip knows the word and yet he's missed the dangerous thing he's asking for. Remember, Moses had asked God to get to see him. And when God made his appearances to Moses, it would be the pre-incarnate Christ. He's the spokesman for the Trinity. God says, you cannot see me in all my glory. You can't do it and live. 
And so I'll put you in a cleft of a rock and I'll pass by and you can, he says, you can see my backside. You can see a glimpse of what your body, what you can tolerate as a sinner. So when Philip says, show us the father and that's going to be good enough, we won't ask for anything else. You would die in the presence of that. God has to hide all of his glory as he is here in Jesus. But Jesus' response is, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I'm telling you, I'm not speaking on my own, but the Father who remains in me is doing his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe because of the works themselves. First and foremost, if you don't want to believe that I am God and that I am the representative of the Trinity so that when you see me, you're seeing the representation of the Father and the Holy Spirit because I am God, then trust in the miracles that I've done. I didn't do them like the prophets, God working through them. It was God working because I am God. But we want to pay attention to our prepositions here. One time I had some Mormon missionaries come to my door and I had argued with them. And, uh, and they didn't get these prepositions that Jesus is in the Father. They ran off. I, I definitely had struck a chord. They ran off and talked to their bishop. And they came back and said he means that they're in one accord. No. Jesus doesn't say here, I'm with the Father. Jesus doesn't say, I'm in one accord with the Father. That's certainly true. He says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is what we confess. We have one God in three persons. Not one God who changes different masks. Okay, today I'm going to act like the Son. Today I'm going to act like the Father. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he is, part of his role is, he is the face of the Godhood. He is the representative. If you trust in Jesus, then you've got the package deal. You've got the Father and the Holy Spirit. When you see Jesus... You're seeing the deal. God the Father works through Jesus. Jesus works with God the Father. They work in sending the Holy Spirit. And while they're three distinct persons, none of them works to the isolation and exclusion of the other. This is comforting for you. Jesus' death and resurrection for your sin was not a rebellious plan of the Son that didn't have the Father's approval. This was planned before God said, let there be light. God is not going to turn around and say, ah, you know what? I'm not going to accept that payment. That's not quite. No, the triune God each works for you, never to the exclusion of the other. And they all do work with one harmony. How can you keep your heart from being tossed to and fro? By trusting in the union of the triune God, that the Father is working for your salvation, the Son has won your salvation, the Holy Spirit works to bring you to that salvation. They're all working together. Never can we say that one works to the exclusion of the other. And this means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want you to, have brought you to, and keep you in your salvation. That really puts a troubled heart at ease. Finally, Jesus says in verse 12, Amen, amen, I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the works that I am doing, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus rose a lot of people from the dead, including himself. None of the apostles rose themselves from the dead. So what works is he talking about? He did give the apostles the ability to do miracles to confirm the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
But a great work has happened when Jesus died and rose again. Remember, he gives that Easter Sunday, he gives the keys to not just the 11. Thomas wasn't there that day. He gives it to everybody in the room. He gives it to the church. And that is the great miracle. No one can pay for a sin. No one can remove a sin. Oh, wait, Jesus did that. And he's given you the king, the keys. He's made you a priest. When you tell somebody their sin is forgiven in Christ, it is completely removed. The gates of hell are locked shut. The gates of heaven are flung open. Do you realize what a miraculous power you have? Last weekend, we did an amazing thing. And it wasn't our power, it was God's power. Number one, we took plain water and we baptized a child and the Holy Spirit was sealed in their heart. Number two, we took pure bread and wine, and not by our own powers, but we were given the body and blood of Christ with strengthened and nourished our faith. When you proclaim the word of God, God is working through you, and there is great power in you. So, when you're worried about your children, when you're worried about your neighbor, when you're... How can you put your heart out of that turmoil? By trusting that the triune God is at work through you as well. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as I mentioned in our text, that don't let your hearts be troubled is the picture like a a ship being knocked up and down in waves. But we've been given an anchor. The waves are still going to hit us in the broadside at times. Don't kid yourself. But we don't have to be continuously in that state. How do we stop our hearts from being in continuous turmoil? The trust God has given us that he has prepared a living space for you. Our triune God has worked for that anchors you down. He anchors you down by knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If something in this world contradicts it in any way, that is a lie. You're anchored to that. By trusting in the union of our triune God, it anchors you down knowing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in complete accord. They are working together. They do not work inseparably to bring you to and keep you in salvation. And once you're saved, anchored down by trusting that our triune God works through you as his priest. Amen. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God his Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.